morning. So, as I said before, we are continuing our series this morning, Living Hope, uh, which is a series on the resurrection. It's a series on the evidence of the resurrection. It's a series on how the church lives out this resurrection reality, this new creation. Um, and uh, there are some who might think um, that uh, they'd rather not have like a Mother's Day kind of specific like sermon kind of thing. And there's been in previous years, we've kind of done different things and shown different video clips on Mother's Day that have been really touching. <laughs> Inside joke, sorry. Um, and um, today, for the past couple of years, I just, I have felt that a piece about us spending this day, spending this Mother's Day and then Father's Day next month, um, taking time out to, to think about um, women, to think about uh, the, the affirmation that the church um, gives to women, and I think that that's extremely important for us. Um, and uh, just a sec. Yes, yes, Tanya. That, that's a great point. We, we are honoring our father and mother, and I think that that's exactly what we're doing uh, this month and next. That's an excellent point. And so um, one of the ways that we do this whole celebration of the resurrection thing is I think praying for motherhood is an excellent example of, <laughs> of, of sacrifice leading to new life. I think that uh, the praying for and, and celebrating motherhood is exactly the kind of thing that the church should be doing. Um, so in that light, we're about to hear a message from my friend Kendall Ludwig. Uh, for uh, those of you who are newer to our community. Kendall has served on our elder board for uh, five or six years, something like that, um, three years ago. She was, um, uh, she, her and her husband, Mark, joined our congregation about a year into New Hope's life. Uh, they were an integral part of our uh, community life. They led worship here for many years. Uh, Kendall's preached several times. Mark's preached a couple times. Uh, we are just so grateful for their family and the life of our community. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Kendall actually still does all of our uh, web website design and our graphic design. So anytime you've seen New Hope's logo or been on web, New Hope's website, that's all Kendall. So at any rate, would you please welcome um, Kendall Ludwig. Thank you, Joe. Um, it's always an honor to be asked to speak here. I love this family. And yes, my name is Kendall Ludwig, if you don't know me. Um, and I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all the women in the room. And my mom is here, and I think she's been here for every sermon I've ever given, which is like, she's like my number one fan. I love it. And Mark and the girls send their love from Garrett County, um, and they will be listening to this online later. So, hi, family. I love you. Um, I do have the honor of being a mother of two girls, uh, Margot and Juliet. They are nine and six, and they are just two of the most incredible human beings on the planet. <laughs> I'm a little biased. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the youngest one, well, actually, both of them have a bit of an aversion to mornings. I think they get that from their dad. And so school mornings tend to be a little bit hairy. Uh, it's hard getting them out of bed. So I have this routine 
where I get up, I wake them up for the first time, I go into the bathroom, I get myself ready, and then I come back and I wake them up again, and usually a third time before they actually get out of bed and start getting ready. So just a couple of weeks ago, I went and woke them both up, and I walked in the bathroom, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm washing my face, and because this is the kind of house we live in, Juliet, my youngest, my six-year-old, who's just a force, that's the best word I can use to describe her, she walks right in and starts peeing, because, again, that's the household that we live in, and I'm washing my face, and she's all finished, and she just looks at me, and she goes, Mom, I'm really glad that you wash your face, and then you put on makeup, and you put on some nice clothes, because you do not look good first thing in the morning. <laughs> that was the first thing she said to me that day. And I, I looked at her, and I, like, wanted to be mad, but I really can't fault her. Like, she's just speaking her truth. I do not look good first thing in the morning. I am this close to 40. It's pr not pretty. It is not a pretty sight. So, yeah. One of the joys of motherhood is having someone be brutally honest to you about all of your insecurities. It's awesome. Um, but I do. I love them so much. All right. So I'm going to take you back to August of 2007. Rehab by Amy Winehouse was on heavy rotation. The stock market is just over one year from crashing. Mark and I have been married for three years, and we were working on making our Reisterstown townhouse very cozy. We were enjoying our time in the Miller House Church, love that time, and sowing our crazy childless oats, seeds, whatever, not really. We were just enjoying being married. And I was about to do one of the scariest things I've ever done, which is walk into my creative director's office and give her my two weeks notice. After graduating with an art degree from Towson University and worrying that I might have to live on a box on the street, I landed a job as a graphic designer for Polk Audio, which is a high-end loudspeaker company in Baltimore the spring of 2004. It was a decent job. I was making a respectable salary for an entry-level position. I had fun coworkers. I got to work on some really interesting projects. And I loved my creative director, Jenny, who was like a mentor to me. Then I started doing some freelance design work on the side for friends and friends of friends, like logos and posters. And I really, really loved that side hustle, even though it was making me like no money. <laughs> um, and I started thinking about what it would be like to do that full time. There were a couple of problems with this. Number one, I had never taken a single business course and I knew nothing, like nothing, about starting my own business. I had no startup money saved. I had no client list. Uh, Mark and I had a mortgage. We had car payments. Um, we had a student loan. And I was significantly contributing to our household expenses. And it's really super risky to start your own business. If you don't know, 50% um, of all new businesses fail in the first five years. Plus, like, the entire economy was about to collapse. Not that I was paying attention, because, again, going back to the no business courses or not caring about economics, because why would I? I was an artist. And yet, once I had the idea in my head, I couldn't get it out. I felt like it had taken on this tangible quality. Ignoring it was fruitless. 
So Mark and I had several long conversations about what my company could look like. And it felt like a reasonable ne next step was to find a continuing uh, education class about starting your own small business. So I did that. Then with uh, the help of your friend and mine, Matthew Winner, I came up with the name Curly Red. I designed my logo, I bought my domain name, and I found a business attorney and went through the process of creating an S-Corp with the state of Maryland. I started doing work officially under the Curly Red umbrella in, the, in January of 2007, and this was all while I was still working at Polk full-time. And I started to visualize what it would really, really look like if I was to take that leap. And I was just so anxious to get going. I wanted to make that happen as quickly as possible. So then came the scary part. By the summer of 2007, I had finally decided to take the leap. And so on a not-so-interesting day in August, I walked into Jenny's office. I gave her my two weeks' notice. And as one season in my life quickly came to a close a whole new one was beginning. Um, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles with us this morning, our passage comes from Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm going to be reading 3, 1 through 13. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift from God. According to rabbinic tradition, the book Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon in his old age, although many scholars dispute this. For argument's sake, let's say King Solomon did write this. Let's just take a minute and think about how remarkable that is. There's a popular television show I'm vaguely aware of right now where there's like different people in different kingdoms like battling to get on some kind of like throne because everybody wants to be king. I don't know, something, HBO maybe? I don't know, something like that. Um, right, right, no, wait a minute, <laughs> no. Um, but the whole thing about being a king it's all about power and control over your kingdom, right? So if King Solomon wrote this passage, like, let's just take a minute and think about how A, prophetic that was, and B, how remarkable that was. He had a sense that maybe the way things were going for Israel were not going to continue, which he was right about. 
And B, like, what king talks about a time to tear down, a time to mourn, a, t- a time to throw away? If his whole agenda is being in power, and, you know, think about kings through the ages and, and the, the lengths that they would go to to stay in control, the unspeakable things they do so that their family line will continue on, and he's openly acknowledging the fact that God does not work that way. For followers of Christ, understanding that our earthly experience works in seasons is incredibly important. God has designed things in seasons, and when we truly recognize this, the easier it is for us to align ourselves with his will. Jesus himself spoke of seasons. In Mark 2.18, it reads, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were often fasting. So people came up to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and those of the Pharisees? And Jesus replied, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is still with them? As long as he is with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Jesus wasn't condemning the act of fasting. He often fasted, and he clearly valued the practice. He simply knew that there was a season for every activity under the heavens. I want you to take a minute and think about the most euphoric moments of your life, perhaps holding your son or daughter for the first time, or the first time you fell in love, maybe seeing your favorite musician perform live. Really think about how you felt in those moments. What made those moments so remarkable? Then think about this. What if your entire life went from one euphoric moment to another? Would that even be sustainable? Isn't part of the reason that those moments are so remarkable is because they don't last? Now I want you to think of some of the saddest moments in your life. What a blessing that those things eventually come to an end. I can vividly remember sitting at my friend's house and getting a call from Mark. He was with his family, and they had just gotten back the results of his father's body scans. Mark told me how the areas of cancer lit up on the screen like lights on a Christmas tree. And I felt like the air had gotten kicked out of my body. There are two ways that seasons end. The first is forced change. The death of a loved one, a fire, being let go from a job, learning that your wonderful father-in-law has less than six months to live. These are things we cannot anticipate. They often knock us off our course. The second type of change is chosen change. Ending a toxic relationship, accepting a new position in a different company, buying a house, or moving to a different area of the world. These are choices that we make, and it's often because it's leading to something better on the other side. But here's the thing about seasons coming to a close. Both forced and chosen change, regardless of whether it leads to something better or something worse, when a season ends, we must grieve it. 
We tend to be better at grieving forced change. People, you know, expect crying at funerals. When I did leave Polk to do Curly Red full-time, I had my first week working out of my home office, and I felt a tremendous mix of emotions. I felt thrilled by the opportunities that were laid out before me. I felt terrified at the prospect of walking into networking events, finding a group of people I didn't know, introducing myself and giving them a business card, which is something I literally did hundreds of times in just the first year I was in business. But I was also surprised that I felt this deep sadness. I missed my coworkers. I missed their jokes. I, I missed the security of knowing I was going to get a paycheck every two weeks. And then three years ago, our family decided to pack up and move our lives 200 miles west. We chose to end our season here, but that didn't make it any easier to leave everyone that we love to start over in a brand new place. I spent most of the first Ravens game day after we moved out to Garrett County in tears. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I felt so far away from everything and everyone, like I had moved to the other end of the earth. Even though it felt like the right decision for our family, I had to seriously grieve leaving Baltimore, leaving Ravens Nation, leaving my family, leaving this family. We as humans tend to find peace and safety in what we know and what we're familiar with, even if that reality is a completely unhealthy one. When a season ends, you find yourself in uncharted waters, and that can be terrifying. For this reason, many of us know deep down that God is asking us to end a season in our life, to end that toxic relationship, to leave that meaningless job, to serve God in a new way, or to put away sinful behavior and embrace what God called the new creation that Christ has started in us. And yet, we don't do this. We don't change easily. Fear of the unknown, or even worse, apathy, keeps us in the same patterns and keeps us from beginning new seasons that can lead us to the better life God has for us. Curly Red has gone through many seasons. And, you know, the beauty of social media and the demands of being a business owner that always appears confident and like I always have all things figured out. Most people are only seeing the highlights. Anyone resonate with that? But yet, I can't tell you how many times my company has been this close from landing some big client or some game-changing job that just disappeared in the 11th hour, never came to fruition. And it's devastating. I can't tell you how many times I've been this close to just shutting my doors for good because it just got too hard. When I had Margot and I had one infant and I'm running my business, that was, that was hard. But thanks to many of you in this room, I was able to kind of power through it. When I had Juliet three years later, I had an infant a toddler, and a business that was hanging on by a thread. 
I had all these monthly expenses planned out that I'd look at each month, the amount of money I needed to, to bring in in order to pay for just to keep my doors open, not even to pay me anything on top of that. And I had to make a phone call to the company that does the administrative work for my, for my business. I have a ministry of assistant, and I pay them a monthly fee to help with those types of things. And I had to call the CEO of that company who had become a friend of mine and basically tell him, I, I need to stop using your services for a while. And he was like, are things really that bad? I had no idea. It was so humiliating. I just felt like a big, fat failure. Um, and, you know, I had many conversations with just a few people that I really loved, but also with God, like, God, do you even want me to do this anymore? Am I even in the business of doing this anymore? It feels like it shouldn't be this hard. Um, but what I heard back was that I heard God saying, this too shall pass. It's not always going to be like this. It feels really hard right now. I don't want you to throw in the towel. Um, this will get better. This will get easier. And then a couple of years later, before we moved, I was on a panel at Stevenson University with several other creative business owners, and the students that were in the audience were asking us these like personal, perfectly reasonable questions about um, like how we got started. <laughs> and the questions were like, what sort of business plan did you have? How many months of living expenses did you have saved when you started? What was your projected growth? And everyone on that panel but me gave their reasonable, intelligent, highly articulated answers. It was literally like, good answer, good answer, good answer, good answer, me. I mean, I was at the end of the panel, and it was a good thing I was, because they would all give these answers, and I'm just looking at them like, wow. So that's what it's like to do it right. <laughs> like, that day, it fully dawned on me that I was the only one on that panel that had no right to still be in business. Seriously, no right. I was like the poster child of what not to do. Um, it was a huge wake-up call that I, I was there because I was extremely naive when I started my company. I was extremely ambitious. I was ready to work hard, and I am just downright stubborn. Any of you who know me know that that's true. I just do not give up on things easily, and I refuse to be a statistic. <sighs> Folks, folks over the years have called me brave for starting my own company. I wasn't brave. I just didn't know any better. But here I am, 12 years later. <laughs> Curly Red is now fully supporting our family. Mark works for me full time. He has been for about two years. We get the freedom of setting our own schedule. We get so much time with our girls, it's ridiculous. We do some pro bono work. Um, I give back each year to some worthy nonprofits. Uh, our business, I feel like, is slowly but surely making a positive impact in the community that God has us in now. And none of that would have happened if I hadn't walked into my creative director's office 12 years ago. 
and decided that it was time for a new season. And yet, the picture on your bulletin represents something else. (laughs) My absolute terror at the prospect of once again taking this big leap into the unknown. Curly Red just opened a new office space in downtown Oakland, which is the county seat of the county I live in. And uh, I told a friend just three days ago that one of two things is going to happen. My company is going to completely crash and burn under the weight of these new expenses that I haven't figured out how I'm going to pay for yet. Or this could be the turning point to take Curly Red to where I'd like to take it. I I want to hire people. I I want to grow. And the only way I'm going to do that is if I get out of just having a home office. Kind of capacity there. It's just one huge question mark right now. When I hear that part in, in today's passage about a time to build and a time to tear down, that resonates very strongly with me right now. Is this my time to build or is it God's time to tear down? I don't know. But these good and bad seasons have come and gone, and they've shown me so much about not only my character, but more importantly, the character of God. How good he is, how faithful he is, how much he loves me. Speaking of love, my sermon title is from a song lyric from the musical Rent, one of my absolute favorites, and as many of you already know, I'm a total musical theater dork. Um, But the most popular song from the show is called Seasons of Love, and here's a few lines. In daylights and sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee, in inches and miles, in laughter and strife, how do you measure the life of a woman or a man? In truths that she learned, or the times that he cried, in the bridges he burned, or the way that she died. Let's look once more at the last part of the passage from today's text. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. God's gift is that we might find purpose here and enjoy our time on earth. We may not fully understand God's timing or his plan, but what a tremendous blessing it is to know that he loves us so much that he gave us this time on earth to find joy in his creation and in our work. It's so easy to become complacent or discouraged or filled with despair. You know, that feeling that you feel that this is the best it's ever going to be, which, by the way, is the exact opposite of hope. If you're in the midst of a wonderful season, I'm delighted for you. Thank God for his blessings on your life. Cherish it, but remember that all things do come to a close. Conversely, if you're in the midst of a terrible, horrible, no good season, and you're here just out of sheer willpower, remember that this too shall pass. However, perhaps God might be calling some of you today to choose a new season. Is it time for you to be like 2007, Kendall? 
to be extremely naive, work really hard, be downright stubborn to create a new season in your life? Let me ask you, do you have an idea that you can't let go of? Do you have an insatiable curiosity about something? Do you feel like if you don't change something, you're gonna die a little bit more each day? I would encourage you to go to God first, lay the desires of your heart out in front of him, which he already knows about, which he put there, by the way. Then look for your even very, very small next step and take it. Ask God to show you what that next step is if you're not sure. Then go to your sister or brother in Christ. Ask them to pray with you about this season God might be asking you to start. And remember, our God is not a God of fear or apathy or complacency. He is a God of power, of action, and he can help us live boldly in every season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us passions and desires and curiosities. Let each man and woman here know that it is right and good that we go after these. Give us the bravery and stubbornness to pursue your will for our lives, even when it's hard and painful. Help us see when it's time to end a season. And Lord, when a season ends that we aren't ready for and the pain feels unbearable, remind us that you are always with us and everything you have is ours. Remind us that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance and that you have made everything beautiful in your time. In your most holy name we pray, amen.